0: Hi and welcome to episode 105 of Talking With Painters where Australian painters talk about their lives and art. I'm Maria Stolger and this is the third episode in my summer series and my conversation with Tony Costa who won the 2019 Archibald Prize with his stunning portrait of contemporary artist Lindy Lee. In this summer series, I'm bringing you the longer audio recordings from videos I've taken of my podcast guests. And when I film those videos, we record a lot more than you see in the final cut. So these are the unedited conversations, which I find are just as interesting as the podcast interview itself. Tony's been painting for over 50 years and apart from winning the Archibald Prize, he's a regular finalist in the Doug Moran and the Kilgour Prizes as well as many others. But it's in landscape that he's particularly prolific and has won the Paddington Art Prize in Landscape Painting and repeatedly returns to the Royal National Park in Sydney South where he's found endless inspiration. His first solo exhibition since winning the Archibald opens at Art Atrium in Sydney on 15th of May this year, 2021, and consists of oils, watercolours and ink works based on Guatemala and Geary, which are within the National Park. If you'd like to hear the previous podcast interview or see the YouTube video, go to the show notes. And I've also included some photos of works and materials we talk about in this episode, which you can also see on the website talkingwithpainters.com. I started by asking Tony what he looks for when he's considering who to paint for the Archibald.
1: Yeah, I I think you need to develop a real rapport and have an affinity with your subject. And uh, with all of my previous portraits, um, I've actually met them all. Uh, Some of them are very good friends of mine. But what was unusual about Lindy was I had never met Lindy, but I had heard an interview that she gave at the Art in New South Wales. And I found myself nodding at a lot of the things she was saying. I thought, she's extremely wise. She's extremely uh, courageous. Um, she's humble. Um, she's fascinating. And, um, and above all, she's got a, an extraordinary focus um, towards her art practice. And um, uh, I thought, well, I haven't met her, but I've heard this interview. And there's a lot about Lindy that I already uh, like and admire. Uh, so I felt this real magnetic pull towards her, coupled with the fact that she has a very striking hairstyle. It's, it's bobbed on one side and very long on the other, which is dramatic. And I, I love drama. I'm attracted to drama. And I'm looking for all those little nuances in people's faces. But I think the, f- the first thing and the most important thing is I have to feel a connection with that person. I have to really admire them. The other thing I've discovered just recently is that I've painted very strong people, people who are very committed, and uh, just have a really solid central core. And in Lindy's case, the outcomes of a studio uh, are the things that matter to her, over and above fame and making money and all those other things that artists have to you know, have some concern about, but they're not the most important things in her life. Mm-hmm. So she makes her art the focus. And I think um, that's obviously um, the thing that matters to her most, and, and the work uh, reflects that.
0: And what was her reaction to you contacting her for the painting?
1: Well, surprisingly positive. I, I'm not even sure that she knew very much about me, but um, um, she said, oh, look, I'd love to sit for you. Um, that's fine. I'm happy to do that, which was a wonderful surprise. But uh, she said to me, there's just one, one problem. She said, can we do the, the painting now because I'm going to have a really busy year Uh, in 2019 the first six months are going to be very busy so she warned me about that and uh, I was ready to go so it was never going to be a problem and I think the week after uh, a couple of weeks after she she um, flew down to Sydney and uh, she doesn't live here Um, and uh, she sat in this studio on a platform that I built uh, for her I had a, a mattress and I think half a dozen cushions, but she came up the driveway holding her very special cushion and she said, I I carry this with me all the time when I'm meditating. And um, I had discussed with her, you know, that I wanted to paint her in a meditating position because Buddhism and Taoism informs a large part of her practice. So I thought, well, meditation is a huge part and it informs what you do. I can't imagine painting you in any other position. And she said, that's fine. and um, she basically said, look, you're in charge, you're the artist, you decide and tell me what, what to do. And so she just sat and meditated for six hours with a break in between for lunch.
0: Was so was in this space that you did paint her? Well, literally
1: where I'm standing now in this corner of the, of the studio. And I stood there and then I did two drawings. One of them uh, was a head study of uh, Lindy first thing in the morning, which is the drawing that you see behind me on my on my left.
0: And is that, that's a charcoal on paper?
1: Yeah, that's a compressed charcoal drawing on paper. And uh, I've used white chalk to eliminate certain areas that I think are probably exaggerated or you know, shouldn't be there. So the top part of her head, you'll see that I've actually cropped the height of her hair because I felt it was just too, too tall. And I may have even just highlighted her cheeks uh, and, and pronounced some of the eyelids and, and this is really gathering information for my sake because mm. I'm going to be using this drawing for the painting. The other thing I did after lunch was to have Lindy sit here again and I did a full torso. Um, but she left uh, early in the afternoon. I hadn't sort of completed the, the head. So I invented the head after she had left based on, um, on memory. But the torso, the rekusu which is, is uh, the sack that she's wearing, and the gown, that was all done while she was here.
0: Oh, so, that, so these two drawings were done in the one day?
1: In the one day. One in the morning and this other one was done in the afternoon.
0: And when you – so I, I'm interested in the fact that, you know, you plan these paintings. Uh, you have three paintings that you ultimately are completed of Lindy. Yeah. Um, we, did you, do you methodically think to yourself, I'm going to do two drawings and then I'll work from those for the paintings?
1: Yeah, well, I, I need a really detailed... Well, what I call detail though I mean, it's not particularly detailed, but I, I want to trap all those sensations about her face because her face is an important part of the, the painting. But then I also need a shape for the body. Mm. So, And I, I I concentrate on doing a very detailed study of a head, but then the torso can be a little briefer because it's really the shape of the torso that I'm interested in. I'm not really too interested in detail. So if I've got some rough idea then I can invent the rest. And often I elongate torsos for various reasons. In fact, one of the things I said to her was, Lindy, while you were sitting there, I couldn't help thinking that you look like a mountain. And she said, oh, well, that's a great compliment to pay someone who's meditating. She had a special cushion, so she felt elevated. Mm-hmm. And so in the painting, I thought, well, I'll stretch the top part of her body. So it's exaggerated. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, to accentuate that whole quality of grandeur and, and the quality of a mountain. So that's an exaggerated part of that painting and for that, that reason.
0: And, and that exaggeration would come in the painting process?
1: In the painting process, yeah. yeah. So I've remembered that I want to do that with the painting for that very specific reason. The other thing I did in the painting uh, was um, she was sitting here on a platform and there was a, the definition of the platform and I didn't want it defined because the other thing I spoke about was I asked her if she has ever levitated and she says, no, I've never managed that, and I don't think it's possible. But she says, what I can tell you is that after I've meditated, I feel like I'm floating. Mm-hmm. So I thought, well, I need to have an undulating gown devoid of any definitive line that's running from left to right. I don't want there to be a platform. Mm-hmm. And I also want to create the, the illusion that she could be floating. So um, the gown has, has folds, and I actually went up to the platform and then pulled out her, her gown and had it floating over the top of the platform so that when I was drawing it, there isn't the feeling that, uh, that there's a platform there, but that she could actually be floating.
0: Yes, so that was a deliberate uh, mm. part of the composition. Mm. So you haven't, um, you haven't defined any background sort of...
1: Well, there's no evidence of any platform in the paintings. It's just Lindy floating in space in, in a cloud of hot air, if you like. It's a big cloud of dust because the background colour is a sort of an ochre colour.
0: Yeah. Do you have a, because a lot of your, your Archibald paintings vary in their sort of palette. Did you have a strong sense that you would use this palette for this painting?
1: Yeah, I did. I did. I thought um, warm, she's humble, she's earthy, she's grounded. And I thought a real sort of terracotta colour would suit the whole quality and the mood of the painting. Mm. Colour creates mood. And uh, so I'm very careful about the colours um, that I do select. Uh, for a painting, so yeah, I, I do. I don't overthink it. I just think, yeah, that'd be a lovely colour, and then I'll put it down. If I don't like it, I can scrape it off and put down some other colour.
0: Yeah, and t- and tell me a bit about um, the painting process. Uh, so, th- do you work uh, quite uh, closely from your drawings?
1: Yes, I, I have the drawings up on the wall. So the the person's left the room, and then I'm left with the residual, the the sort of stuff that I did on the day. And a lot of memory and I tend to do the paintings quite soon after they've left because all those sensations and nuances are fresh in my mind. Mm. So the drawings are up on the wall, um, so I get a, a basic structure of the, the composition and then when I get to the head then I look at the drawing that I did of the head and that's where all the information for the head comes from. But the painting are actually executed on this table here. Um, And to give it an accurate description, it's not a table. It's actually an old hospital bed, which (laughs) I rescued from the Ride Rehabilitation Centre. They were throwing them out. And I thought, I need two things. I need something on wheels that I can move around because I work on oils. And other times I work on paper, watercolours. And uh, I need to be able to adjust the height. So the hospital bed was uh, heaven sent.
0: Yeah. Had uh, you thought of that before you saw it?
1: No, I hadn't. But (laughs) when I saw it, I thought, that's it. You know, because that, that, I've been thinking about draftsman tables, but they don't go up and down and they're vertical. Mm. So I work flat on the table.
0: Have you um, always worked flat?
1: I have for about 25 years. Mm. It's just something that I started doing and felt extremely comfortable doing it. Mm. When I'm working on paper, because the, the paint is uh, fluid and, uh, and, and obviously wet, uh, there's always the risk that things can run off if it's vertical. But when it lays flat, um, the painting doesn't go anywhere. Mm. So I apply it and it just sits there very nicely. If it's particularly thin and it takes a lot longer to dry, they will just be puddles of colour, but they don't run. Mm-hmm. So I like putting things and I like them to stay more or less where I put them. Mm-hmm. And uh, in the case of paper, it's and it's an ideal place to work. With, with oil painting, um, and because the bed is adjustable, I've got a remote control here uh, on the left-hand side of the, uh, of the bed, and... Um, So I just press this here, the bed then recedes. And if I'm working on a large canvas, I I need to get a better view of it. I just simply lower the bed and uh, I get an aerial view of what I'm doing. And there's a simple reason for it. If a painting is on an easel, there's that horrible question that every artist uh, asks themselves, um, is it any good? I can't actually ask that question because I can't actually see what I'm doing. So... Judgement is suspended until the very, very end. And once the painting's completed or close to completion, I can I then have the option of putting it up on the wall, and having a look at it and deciding whether the um, the, the nose is in the right spot or whether the the line travelling across the painting is unnecessary. I can make those decisions at the very end.
0: So what what are you concentrating on when you if you're not worrying about those things? What are you worrying about, or don't you worry? Not a lot.
1: <laughs> I pray a lot. <laughs> um, I guess, you know, in a nutshell, I, um, I'm extremely interested in rhythm. And it comes from African um, dance or African music. And in summary, it says that if you follow the rhythm, you transcend reality. If you transcend reality, you enter trance. A lot of artists talk about being in the zone or going with the flow or getting lost and having spent seven hours in the studio and feeling like it's seven minutes Once you enter that state, you enter the world of nothingness, and then another energy carries you. So people often say, what do you think about when you're painting? Absolutely nothing. I'm mesmerised by the, the thing in front of me, and there are no distractions. All the windows are closed, all the doors are closed, so it's just me and the work and one drawing and nothing else in the room. So I'm deeply focused on the thing in front of me, and it has to work as a painting. So for me, the invention and the unity of the work is the most important thing. If it looks like Lindy, that's a bonus. I mean, I know that's a nutty thing to say, but I'm really not interested in what Lindy looks like. I'm more interested in what Lindy feels like. Mm. And there's a Zen concept, and she's very interested in Zen, that says who and what we are goes beyond the extremities of our skin. So it's always the stuff on the inside that I've been interested in. And I, you know you can swap the word energy, it is energy, but you can swap that word for, I'm gonna use a very tricky word here, spiritual. So it's all that stuff that, that has made up that person over 64 years in, in, in my case. And um, so it, it, that's the thing that I would like to trap. I'm very careful not to say try, because the minute you try, the painting moves further and further away from you. So you've got to suspend judgment. But you also have to go into the painting with absolutely no expectations. So if you expect nothing, you already have everything. Mm. So I come into the studio quite prepared to destroy the painting if it doesn't work. I can't walk into a studio thinking, I'm now going to paint the winning picture for the Archibald. That never enters my head. Yeah. The only thing that enters my head is, I'm going to try and enjoy this painting.
0: So how many paintings did you uh, end up painting of, Lind- of Lindy?
1: I ended up doing three um, and then I had the luxury, because the painting was done in November last year, I had the luxury of having the painting on the easel and constantly looking at it uh, and and enjoying it and wondering whether it was okay or not. Was there there anything I wanted to change on it? And uh, I, I just felt that the painting had just fallen into position without too much trying. It almost made itself. That's a quote from Francis Bacon who said, I like the paintings that make themselves. Now that would be an ideal world and I have to tell you, I'd rather leave the studio and just leave my instructions somewhere but that doesn't always happen. But I did three paintings. I did this other painting that's here behind me.
0: So this is not the Archibald painting we should make clear.
1: No, no, we should make that clear. I haven't gone to the gallery and taken it off the wall and brought it here for the day. This is another painting. Um, the recusa that she's wearing around her neck is a different colour and the gown uh flows into the corner very differently Mm. Um, obviously it's a similar painting it's the same same subject but um i've changed the palette slightly and i just wanted to have another go and then i decided to to choose the one that i chose for the archibald the other painting i did it was a a study a head study uh, of, of lindy and this one here um I completed around the same time, but I knew I wanted the other one for the Archibald, but I've, I've earmarked this one for the Doug Moran Prize. So that's coming up in the next couple of months. Yes. And, you know, when I get a subject...
0: That's beautiful. That is a really stunning painting. Mm-hmm. And I don't see any brushes around anywhere. Do oh, you... no, there's one here. Oh, you do use... <laughs> no, there
1: <laughs> there's is one. one. That's, there it is there.
0: Is that the only brush you've got?
1: That's the only brush I've got. <laughs> yeah. That's to sign my name with because I, I found that trying to do it with my fingers is a bit crude and it wasn't working so I thought <laughs> I'll have to give in. So this is the brush that I have and I keep it right there so I reach for it when I finish the painting to sign it.
0: So can you tell me a bit more about the process you use when you're painting?
1: Well, uh, quite simply, I've got these um, spatulas. Uh, well, they're actually scrapers, paint scrapers, and I've filed the edges on these scrapers because they're very sharp. So once I've, uh, um, you know, softened those corners, I have three various sizes. I've got a, a large, a medium, and a very small one. And I use these uh, spatulas to mix my paint with. This is actually my palette. Um, I don't hold a palette, but, I you know, th- I wheel this table over to the the other um, table, which I work on. I line my paints up against the wall there. So these are the... the, the um, the scrapers that I use to mix the paint with, but it's they. I also use them to apply paint on the surface on the canvas. And then once the painting paint is on the surface, then I use my fingers. Um, I actually have a collection of gloves, and uh, I use my fingers to apply the paint and manipulate the paint on the surface. So that the during the course of the painting, it's incredibly chaotic, uh, but then I make sense out of it by. Um, You know articulating some of the lines on the surface to bring out whatever feature i want on a face or on a gown so that's what i look like uh gloved up ready for surgery and uh and these are the three three palette uh, knives now you know if i've got a color on that and i want to change the palette i reach out for another one i've got a whole series of uh scrapers that I have here of various sizes.
0: Oh, it's a great palette and a great storage space. It's amazing. Well,
1: it's a very economical way of storing it, uh, just sliding them down into the, into the slots that I've created just by using a circular saw. And um, if I want to change a colour, uh, and there's a lot of paint on my glove, like Cezanne who changed his brush every, or wiped his brush every time he put down a stroke... I do that with a glove and just chuck it out. So at the end of the day, there might be, I don't know, 70 or 80 gloves just lying on the floor oh, right. and about 100 rags. Um, and so the whole place is just littered with gloves, which is equivalent to changing your brush or cleaning your brush. But I have to do that.
0: And, and also it avoids getting it all muddied.
1: Yeah, that's right. That, that's right. You, you're contaminating the colours as you're travelling through it because... If you move over to the table here. Um, so this is the painting and this is, you know, 152 centimetres by 122. It's a good comfortable size. I can reach this far across to the to the to Lindy's face, but I can't obviously reach that far. So what I do is I walk around to the other side of the table and inverting the image means that I get a different reading. It doesn't make any difference to me because your eyes are not going to suddenly move from their sockets to another spot. They are where they are, whether it's upside down or the right way up. So I can actually work upside down as well. And then I can just continue working on the painting by just putting my finger here and introducing another colour there and repeating the the, the colour green. I've got some green, a small shard of green in the garment. I I love sort of repeating that colour in different parts of Lindy's face. And then if I need to introduce a much bolder color, then I can just simply go like that with my finger here. And I listen to the painting and just follow the rhythms in in the picture. Um, And all all those marks you see on the hair are just my fingers waving uh, over the top of Lindy's hair. When we were
0: in the house, uh, I saw that beautiful uh, painting of uh, Port Hacking River and you were saying that there was a painting in here that, that you made as a, after doing that drawing. have you got it nearby? I yeah. would love oh, to. Are you talking it.
1: about the small drawing that you saw inside? Yes. It's in here somewhere. Um, these are the portraits. It'll be in here somewhere. Oh, here it is. Yeah. This is uh, Hacking River Number 5, Royal National Park.
0: Oh, wow. That is amazing.
1: So that, that painting relates to the drawing that you saw in, in the lounge room.
0: And you've done a lot of paintings of this area, which mm. is in the Royal National Park south of Sydney. Yep. Um, there's a beautiful rhythm to those branches and to the, you know, um, to the tree itself.
1: Yeah. I think, um, you know, I've got my antennae fully extended, so I, I, I'm particularly attracted to movement. And so there are lots of Angophras in the, in the landscape. It doesn't have to be an ang- Angophras. But just a combination of maybe a tree against um, a river or a, or a combination of rocks or just the vegetation in the background, I don't analyse it too, for too long. I just love it. And if I love it, I paint it. Mm. And if I see an Angofra articulating in space and doing all sorts of balletic things, in, in this case, this is a very beautiful tree, and the salmon pink that you see on the bark and it changes you know, depending on what time of year it is, it's... Um, It's very sensual. It's very exciting and I think I'm excited by this and so therefore I'll draw it. End of story. And I'll walk around the park and I'm attracted by different things. I can't really tell you why. I I guess it is rhythm. Um, You know, in this case, it is the the rhythm in the painting, so you're right to pick that and there's a lot of movement in it. So um, it's such a beautiful area and uh, I enjoy it.
0: And have you got any plans to visit uh, any new area that you haven't been before?
1: I keep saying to people that, you know, the park is so vast, I've only just scratched the surface. Mm. So I think I'm going to be going back there quite a few times. Mm. So in many different areas, you know, there's, there's the ocean and the cliff faces, and then you've got dense bush, and then you've got Angofra forests and, and rock pools. Um, you know, Monet spent the last part of his life looking out his kitchen window and thinking, I've got it all here. So as you get older, I think what happens is instead of spreading your attention across, you spread it uh, in, a, in a vertical direction. You go deeper into a subject rather than across a subject. Mm. And that's what Monet, Monet did with his water lilies. He just kept painting the same motif, which was created by his gardeners. So, you know, I travel 50 minutes. I think he traveled 50 seconds to get to the pond. So... Yeah. Um, no, there's a lot to see. And, you know, one morning I was rowing a, a boat. I saw a red-bellied black uh, snake zigzag across the river. And then I had a, a beautiful kingfisher bird fly past me. Uh, then I looked around, there was a duck, a mallard following me and, you know, behind the boat. Yeah. And, uh, and, a, and a a a, a turtle jump off one of the rocks because the red-bellied black snake had uh, disturbed it. And that's in one morning.
0: Do you go alone to, on these, these trips? Or... Yeah, I do.
1: Yeah. yeah, It's too much of a distraction, you know, taking anyone else. If I'm drawing, then I'm drawing. And if I'm fishing, I'm fishing. And I can't do both. Mm. There's a lovely quote by Kandinsky who says, the, the subject matter in a painting will um, weather the withering away of the object Matter. Now that's a complex idea, but what he's really saying in plain English is that if you trap something internal, that's always going to be there and the superficialities will disappear, they will fade in time. But if you can trap something much deeper, that's inescapable, that's trapped in the painting and that's going to be there in a thousand years time. So that'll survive the withering away of the object matter, object matter being a rock. But the stuff on the inside of the rock, because rocks have personalities and so do trees. And so if you can trap that, that's going to be everlasting.
0: What a generous artist. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Tony Costa. Apart from the video made from this recording, there's also a video of my interview with Tony in the Art Gallery of New South Wales, taken not long after the Archibald winner announcement was made. And I've included a link to that video in the show notes. If you haven't listened to the podcast before, you might not know that you can follow the show on social media. Uh, It's on Instagram, Facebook and Twitter. You can also subscribe to the show for free through your favourite podcast app, whether it's Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google or however else you get your podcasts. And there are about 130 videos on my YouTube channel now. Just go to YouTube and search Talking With Painters and you can subscribe to that channel for free as well. Thanks for listening and hope you can join me for the next episode of Talking With Painters.